And so uh, we're going back to tabletop because we're going to go um, back to the very basics of our journey uh, with Christ. And we're going to actually be in a very familiar passage today of uh, Matthew chapter 4. Um, once, once you get there and see where we're going to be at, you will uh, absolutely uh, know if you've been uh, any reader of God's Word through your life. Um, because this is when Jesus calls his disciples out for the first time. And so today's message, as we start this series titled Multiply, uh, can we, there we go, uh, is going to be simply ordinary people uh, doing extraordinary things. And so as we start this series and we think about uh, over the next five weeks of what it be, means to be a disciple of Christ, uh, I'm going to do my best um, to kind of go back to the basics for you, uh, to simply sit down, um, maybe not knowing where you're at in your playing field, kind of like uh, the marriage series, not knowing uh, where your walks and marriages were. Um, uh, thank God I see you're all still together. That's good. Uh, uh, but uh, in our discipleship journey, uh, what I realize in the local church today is we don't talk about it enough. Uh, we don't disciple new believers enough. You see, what, what happens is they walk through the church door, um, just like many of you did for the first time, whether that was um, uh, six months ago or whether that was uh, two weeks ago or five years ago. Uh, we're coming up on our five-year anniversary, by the way. Uh, praise the Lord for that. And uh, that's going to be coming up in July. But uh, one of the things that we said we wanted to do is when people walk through the church doors for the first time, one, we wanted them to be family, but two, we wanted to grow them up. And, uh, and so we have small groups. We, we have uh, missionaries, what, whatever it is. Uh, but I believe that where the local church really fails today is what we just saw. They get saved, they get baptized, then they become a pew sitter. Um, church, we can't have that. Um, that's not what the, the Christian life is about. That is, uh, you sang a song just a minute ago titled Set a Fire. Uh, you, can't, you can't set a fire uh, getting baptized and sitting in the pew and doing nothing with it. Uh, we have to set a fire in their hearts, and that starts with discipleship. And so we make it complicated, right? Like we think it, ha it, it means that you've got you to go to seminary now and, and you've got to go study for 12 years and then you've got to go on a missionary journey like Paul did and, and all that. No, it's in your backyard. Uh, it's, it's in the church right here. Uh, it's your next door neighbor. It, it's your community that the church is around. And so discipleship is something that we honestly um, never grow out of. Uh, listen, I, I read Matthew 4 this week, and there were things that popped off the page at me uh, that had never popped off the page at me. Um, uh, we're going to talk about the Sea of Galilee today. Uh, do you realize that Jesus' ministry, uh, I'm going to venture out to say that probably 70% or maybe even more happened about a two-mile radius around the Sea of Galilee? Like he, he didn't go past that much. He did it right there. He, he, he uh, simply reached his neighbors. And, uh, man, they, they did such a great job because here we are in 2023, and we still have the honor and the glory to be able 
to sit here today to talk about it because of him, um, because of what he did, because of what he accomplished, because of how he raised those 12 disciples up to do something extraordinary. And so as we think about this for a moment, I, I want you, I'm going to ask you a question. If you were looking for a job or you were an employer and you were going to hire somebody, where do you look? You know, when we go to look for a job, most of us today would go to a place like, uh, what do you call it, Indeed? Indeed.com, snag, snagajob.com, <laughs> uh, monster something another.com. Many websites out there that you can go for a job. You can go on Facebook and, and, and find a job today. Uh, you can you can uh, go down Ennis Street, and I remember when COVID was happening, uh, there were signs all up and down the road uh, looking for a job. Um, employers, okay, how are they going to find their people? Um, some of these people will, will set up uh, tables at business fairs looking for somebody, looking for that right fit, looking for the right set of qualifications. But I think there are two things that... Um, the top employers are looking for in just about anybody these days. And one is experience, and two is education. Right, those are the two things that employers are looking for. But what's interesting to me this morning is when we read the Bible, here is God the Son, Jesus, who came to earth to literally start the church. Right, that, that was his mission. The church is vital. The church is the hope of the world, and it is what he would ultimately uh, give his life for. The reason he died on the cross was for you. And we are to be the church, and I'm not talking about a local church with a steeple. We are the church as believers. And so with a mission like that, that is so vital, so important to all of the world, who is it that he, he would uh, pick to start this phenomenal mission that he was going to go on? What he was going to do was he was going to find 12 men, and he was going to find the top recruits, right? <laughs> he was going to go find the top people across the world. No. You know, that there, there were teachers in his days that were rabbis that would teach people, teach students, would he go get them? No. There was even a whole religious system that pumped out, quote-unquote, disciples in his day. And he would go to the temple and, and look for some of those individuals. Would he do that? No. Would he go knock on the door of the rabbi's house? No. Would he go to the fortune teller to say, hey, I'm looking for some disciples. Help me out. No. Would he set up a table? at the gate of the local church, the local temple, and have a business fair. No. Instead of doing what we think would be absolutely obvious in that time, what does Jesus do? He goes through the complete opposite. He starts out in a place called the Sea of Galilee. And it's interesting thing about the Sea of Galilee, it's not really a sea. Did you know that? Uh, it's a sea by tradition. Today, it's actually called the Lake of Tiberias. I don't know if you knew that or not, or, or some may call it the Lake of Kinneret. And in that, 
Um, the Hebrew back, uh, if you go back to the Hebrew word, uh, that means harp. And if you look at it on a map, if you were to go to Google right now and, and pull up this Sea of Galilee, this, this Lake of Tiberias, you would see that it looks like a harp that is upside down. That's why uh, that's so cool. So Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 18 and 19 is kind of where we're going to be. Um, it's kind of where we're going to hang out for uh, a little while. And this is when Jesus starts calling the disciples out. And we'll, we'll, we'll dig into this. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net to the sea, for they were fishermen. And in verse 19, Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now let's think about this. Jesus knew, going into his earthly ministry, that it was going to need thousands of years, right? Like, um, no, it was going to last. He, he knew that in order for all of this to take place, those 12 people was going to have to last until the world ended. And so when he goes out to find these 12, he's looking for people that he can walk with, people that he's going to be able to do life with. And so when Jesus was thinking about all of this thing, he was thinking thousands of years down the road because he knew that that 12, that base, was going to have to be solid. It's going to have to be really solid. He, he knew it was going to need to penetrate every country on the earth one day. It was going to need to reach every language that would be known to man, that would ever be spoken, it was going to have to survive any political system that was out there, a political agenda that may get thrown in the way. The Bible and, and, and Christ is all going to have to, to go through that. It was going to need to, to, to make it through any economic depression that might would happen. Okay? It was going to have to adapt to any culture standards. And remember this now, it was all started in a day where there was no internet, Think about it. They didn't have Wi-Fi. Uh, AT&T won a thing. There was no USPS mail delivery service. There was no vehicles. There was no airplane. So how in the world were these 12 men going to reach the whole world? Then you just sit back and wonder, as you think about Jesus' ministry, who in the world is he going to pick? Who's he going to pick? When, when Jesus was out looking for these top recruits that would begin the largest movement in the history of the world, he started in an everyday place, like the Sea of Galilee. And he recruited everyday people like you and me to do the most extraordinary thing of all time. That tells me that every day, people like you and me in everyday places can do the same exact thing today in Salisbury, North Carolina. I 100% believe that. That if Jesus can do it then, He can do it now. And God has a history of using ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Did you know that? When you look throughout Scripture, take, for instance, the servant girl in the Bible. 
Okay, she, she doesn't even have a name. We don't even know who she is. But she was the servant girl of Naaman, a, a leader of the king's court, and he had leprosy. Remember that story? Uh, and there was absolutely nothing that he was going to be able to do about it. Although she was an outsider and she was this Jewish girl from another country, she ended up speaking up and telling Naaman about a prophet of God who would heal him of his leprosy. And that is exactly what happened. It started with somebody ordinary. There was, there was another girl. This time it was a Jewish girl named Esther. And, and she was an orphan. Hey, remember that? She, she was raised up by her relative Mordecai. Uh, she was taken out of her country, remember? Eventually taken out of her relative's home, and she would later become queen of Persia and save her people from destruction. Ordinary person. There's another ordinary person that God would use in Scripture. This time it would come by the way of a little boy. And, and he would be around thousands and thousands of people. And I heard it this week. That little boy who brought his sack lunch to, to help feed those 5,000 that day, he didn't know what was going on. He didn't know that was going to be a, a miraculous event take place. The mom that, who went through her everyday routine in life to wake up in the mornings and pack that little boy's lunch, she didn't know that her hands being on that lunch was going to go multiply to thousands of people. This little boy had five little loaves and two fish. Jesus took that small amount of food, blessed it, and fed thousands of people on the spot. All because of a little boy in a sack lunch. There was a young girl that, that God used in the lives of humanity. She became the mother of Jesus. Maybe you've heard of her. Uh, her name's Mary, a teenage girl who was a virgin who ended up birthing the Messiah. When it all comes down to it, we can't really act too surprised when we don't see Jesus knocking on the doors of the religious rabbis and all the religious leaders. We can't be surprised that Jesus isn't out there soliciting for the next religious prodigy uh, who's going to come onto the scene. Jesus had one thing in mind when he went to find these 12 men, and that was the beginning of the church. What I want to do today is walk through some introductory things, and, and this is probably going to be, if you've been a believer for, for any quite a time, this is going to be more of a, a recap for you as, as you've uh, lived your life and you, you tried to live it for Jesus as we start this series of Multiply. What does it look like if the church started multiplying disciples out? You see, I can reach one person. I can do that well. I can reach John today. I'm still reaching him. God, God pray for him. Uh, uh, he, need, he, need, he needs multiple people reaching him. Uh, but, but, you know, when, when I reached John, it, does, it shouldn't stop at John. John should go reach somebody. And then the next thing you know, you're just spider webbing out. And that two becomes four, and that four becomes eight, and that eight becomes 16, to 16 becomes 32, and 32 becomes 64. I'm going to stop there because I'm not good at math. And so, but you get the point. You get the point. It all starts with one. It starts with one person being obedient, to share the name of Jesus, to get out there, to be serious about it, to multiply out, and the next thing you know, churches all across the county are on fire being discipled for Jesus. Church, it's not rocket science. We make it really hard. 
But did you know that the average believer, uh, a statistic came out a few years ago, that, that only about 3% of Christians have ever led anybody personally to Jesus in their lifetime? You know why? Because we rely on the local church to do it. And it's not the local church's job. We're to equip you. And then you go do it. Now, I, I go back to what the series is going to be about. And uh, over the next five weeks or so, I just want to see us become serious followers of Jesus. Like Jesus maniacs for Salisbury. Like, there's no such thing as a part-time believer. And Jesus came to make followers of him that were real-life disciple-makers. He didn't come to the world to make church attenders or church members. And here we are having a church membership class after church today. Uh, we want you to stay for that, by the way. So, th so today, this message is going to be about what a follower of Jesus really is, truly is. So let's look at number one today. Followers are just ordinary people. You know, the followers are just ordinary people. And, and I want to give you a few words today in our, in our two-verse scripture reading for this morning that, that I believe will do, do, do our heart good because it did my heart good this week um, as I've been digesting over this. They're, they're, uh, these are usually words that, that we kind of gloss over too quickly. You know, uh, you're reading through scripture. If you've been uh, kind of hanging out in our Bible plan that we're doing for the year, uh, we're, in, we're in the Gospel of John right now. You know, we're traveling through. And those that are reading through these Gospels, you're noticing, it's about the same stories uh, that you've read uh, for the first five months of the, of the, of the year. And it's just repetitiveness. And, and what happens is when you read them over and over and over again, uh, you just fly through it. And we don't, we don't really get the golden nugget information. Uh, but if we really start digesting over Matthew 4 a little bit, um, I believe if we slow down, for just a small bit this morning, we can see what these two verses are really trying to say. So I'm going to put the car in park for a moment and, and really look at the uh, significance of all of this. Now, now these are the first followers of Jesus, okay? And, and the Bible tells us that it is two brothers. Uh, and they are pretty devout fishermen at the time. Now, you don't want me to go fishing with you. Uh, you won't catch a thing all day. Uh, Riley went fishing with her opod this past week, and uh, they caught 11 fish uh, in an afternoon, and I told her that was more fish than Daddy has caught in his lifetime. Um, uh, they, uh, I'm not a fisherman. I'm just not good at it. They, they were just regular guys in every way and imaginable. Okay? E everyone knows this, and this is where this should give us hope. Uh, everybody in here should, it should give hope this morning. And I want to mention a few ways that they were regular. One, they were ordinary in their qualifications. They were ordinary in their qualifications. They were, they were just ordinary. They were ordinary people. There, there's a verse of Scripture that I want to read to you in, in Acts chapter uh, 4, verse 13. Uh, that th This after uh, Jesus had, had his death, burial, and resurrection, uh, his ascension into heaven. He leaves the whole responsibility at this point to the growth uh, of the local church or in, in, the, in the church in, in general, in the hands of the disciples now. His Holy Spirit is going to help these disciples. They're going to walk the walk that Jesus has been talking. They're going to grow up. They're going to develop this church. And here's Peter standing up, and he's preaching and teaching. 
And, you know, Peter got bold after he got reinstated by Jesus. You remember that? Like, Peter began to get bold. Uh, he, would, he would go knock down anywhere. He would go knock on any door. He would go preach anything. And, and he was helping equip all of the new followers of Jesus at this time when he said in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, he says this, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. You see, the church saw Jesus in them. Every step of the way. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, let people see Jesus in you. It has to start in you. And so I think that if we can just get that picture of what it looks like to have Jesus in you and to spread that to friends, to spread that to neighbors, to spread that to co-workers, you can set a world on fire for Christ. You can set a community ablaze because of who you are in Jesus Christ. Remember, I go back to the marriage series uh, on week number one, we said, from this day forward, do anything and everything that you can to honor Jesus. Listen, as a disciple of Jesus, maybe you have done a poor job over the last couple of years. Maybe, maybe you've done a poor job over the last week of your life. Hey, from this day forward, you're going to do everything that you can to honor Jesus as a disciple of Him. It's that simple. You know, get this today, church. They, they were unschooled. Uh, meaning they didn't have theological education. Um, they didn't go to seminary. They, they didn't get a degree. They were ordinary people. They didn't have formal training. They weren't students under a local rabbi. Honestly, we don't even know if they had any knowledge of a religious system. We don't even know that information. They weren't sitting under any special temple training. These were blue-collar, manual labor men known as tradesmen. They had worked all day. Probably at the end of their day, they began uh, uh, being fishermen. These guys probably smell terrible. Now, think about it. You know, we think we smell bad after a day of work. These guys, they were in it every day. They were just ordinary in their qualifications. Here's the second thing about them, though, about being ordinary. Not only were they ordinary in their qualifications, they were also ordinary in their disqualifications. I don't know if you have ever thought about ordinary in the terms of disqualified or not, but I did this week. That's where my mind went. These men were just like you and me. They were. They, they, uh, it gives me a lot of hope. Um, I hope it will for you as well. Uh, think about it. If you go through the list of the disciples that Jesus called out, being these ordinary men, they all had disqualifications. Every single last one of them. Uh, they were all flawed. They were all scarred. They, they, they honestly should have never been chosen. Uh, if they would have went to a job interview and there were 100 people being interviewed, they would have gotten picked over 99 times. They were not the ones that the employer wanted. Get it? They were, they were disqualified. They take Thomas, for instance, as a disciple. There's one thing that the churchgoer knows about Thomas, and that's the phrase, doubting Thomas, right? Like, everybody knows that phrase. He was known for being a skeptic. Um, he was known for being pessimistic when it, when it came to all of his questions and his doubting of Jesus. 
uh, actually his doubting of Jesus if he was actually risen from the dead or not. Remember, Thomas was the one that came onto the scene after the resurrection and asked Jesus if he could see his hands and to see his side. He was, he was pretty skeptical that it had even happened. Then, with all of the disciples, they were known for being fearful, for being thick-headed, for clamoring with position over one another. Remember, they were all the time wondering, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest among these? Even when they were getting ready to have the Last Supper together, Jesus is about to wash their feet. What are they arguing about? Which one, which one was going to do it? <laughs> which one of you are at the bottom of the totem pole? I'm not doing it. What does Jesus do? He's going to be a servant to them. They all tend to question each other. They question Jesus. <laughs> they question the God that knew it. They didn't quite get it when Jesus was teaching through the parables. They didn't understand it. They didn't understand when Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish and he supplied it and made it 5,000 people getting fed. They didn't, they didn't comprehend it. The first place we find them after the death of Jesus is locked in a room because they're scared. They're fearful of the Jews, that they're going to be found and they're going to be killed. None of these disciples seem to have a stout resume for being strong individuals. None of them were strong, capable leaders. They were ordinary in the qualifications, but we can't help but notice the disqualifications that we would have write them off if they were standing in front of us today looking for a job. Peter, in the world's eyes, would have had all kinds of disqualifications. Think about his life. He was impulsive. Uh, he was known for his attempts and his failures. Think about it. He got the opportunity to walk on the water with Jesus, but he started sinking because of his lack of faith. Peter was even known for his anger at times. Remember at the scene of the garden uh, when... When Jesus was getting taken away, Jesus has been arrested. Uh, Peter cuts off the ear of a guy. But he didn't mean to cut off the ear. He meant to cut his head off. <laughs> That's anger issues. <laughs> what does Jesus do in that situation? He put this guy named Malchus. He puts his ear back on like nothing had happened. Right in front of Peter. <laughs> like how cool is that? Like, you won't, you won't adventure, read the Bible. Okay, stop watching TV, read the Bible. Uh, here, here's the one thing, uh, though Peter, Peter wasn't aiming uh, with, with this guy's ear. Uh, he, he wanted to kill him, right? Like, he, he just absolutely wanted to kill him. So, so after all of this, after the scene of, of Jesus being arrested, then what does he do? He goes and denies Jesus three times. All of this happening because he was honestly dis disqualified. So these guys were known for not only being ordinary in the qualifications, but through the disqualifications. Now, back when I was in uh, grade school, there's another story about Thomas's life, and it's not about me running my head in the cabinets, I promise, but uh, you've probably, probably done the same thing. Uh, when it was time to play kickball or basketball or anything with team sport, what usually happened? You, you, would, you would separate separate out, right? Like you would have a captain. And the captain, usually in basketball, the captains got picked by the first two who made a free throw. That's how we did it. You made your free throw, you were a captain. And um, so the captains would start picking. 
And then when they start picking, what do they what do they usually start picking? The good ones, right? Like they ain't gonna they ain't gonna pick the peep squeaks and the the ones that they don't think is gonna make a basket or uh, <laughs> Mike, that's you. <laughs> and and in those settings, no one ever thought about the ordinary people. Mike, I was there with you too, man. Uh, you're not alone. Uh, what if what if you did that with your fantasy football pick? You know, you had the number one pick in the draft. And instead of picking that big-time QB or running back, you go down to the bottom of the list and pick the player that's ranked number 300 for the season. Like, hey, he's going to have a great year. <laughs> you know, no, we don't do that. Uh, what if we what if we did that with our Wall Street uh, investment? You know, you maybe maybe you're in the stock market or something, and you say, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that one that that hadn't done good for ten years. It's about to turn around tomorrow morning. I'm gonna I'm gonna put all my money there. People don't do that. No, you know, let let's. Let's get the ones who has no training. No, let's, let's get the ones that are fresh and new. Let's get those that, that we know are prone to making mistakes. Let's pick the guy that's not going to make a shot. But here's the thing. Those, those picks, those strange picks, are undoubtedly at times the divine plan of God. You know, Michael Jordan was cut from his high school basketball team. Did you know there's a, a Major League Baseball player today that had a batting average? Of 103, his high school through his high school journey, he walked on to a community college. He started getting he started getting help. He started getting training. Started getting coaching. One of the best pitchers that's ever played the game. His name's David Price. Look, I remember watching David Price play at AAA baseball in in, uh, in Durham Bulls. Crazy story, right? Like a guy that had been written off. Instead, hey, I, I don't know how to bat. I'm gonna see if I can pitch. <laughs> so, so maybe, maybe today you're you're struggling in your batting average. <laughs> Tomorrow morning, wake up and say, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go to the mound and pitch. See if that works out for you. Um, but there's purpose behind all of this, right? Look at First Corinthians one twenty six through twenty nine. Um, Todd, did I forget to put? Verses on the screen back there? I'm sorry. Uh, I'll read it to you. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring forth and bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. What is Jesus looking for? He's looking for genuine followers. Genuine followers of Jesus. He's looking for ordinary people like you and me. But here's the second thing for us to remember today. Followers live everyday lives. We live everyday lives. Oh, this is this is the first thing that, uh, or one of the things that I love, and, and this is something that's going to pop out a little more uh, to you. Peter, Peter, and Andrew, they were fishing in the Sea of Galilee as Jesus walked by. I believe picking uh, ordinary people in ordinary life was an intentional move on a part of Jesus. Um, Jesus intended his mission to be carried out into everyday life, so that's what he did, right? And, and so we we think about this for a moment. God, God picked up 
Peter and his brother Andrew at the Sea of Galilee, and that is where Peter's everyday life occurred. Every single day he was there. If you took time to read uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you would see pretty quickly that Peter was greatly used by Jesus. Okay, but, but guess where most of the ministry was? If you look at it, it was where his everyday life occurred. It was right there around the Sea of Galilee, the same exact place that Jesus calmed the storm when they were out on the boat. It was the same place when Jesus was walking on the water and Peter got out of the boat and walked out there to be with Jesus. That was the Sea of Galilee. It is also outside of the shores of where he fed the 5,000. Okay, and then he was going to feed the 4,000, two separate instances. There's also a hillside not far from that where you get the famous Sermon of the Mount, Sermon on the Mount. Later on the Gospels, uh, the disciples would cast out two demons uh, that were that they were called to be maniacs, and they cast out uh, these legions of demons out of the men. Uh, those demons, it was a crazy story. Those demons went and uh, out into this herd of pigs and the herd of pigs down into the hillside and jumped into the water. And guess what the water was? It was the Sea of Galilee. Not only that, but Jesus and his disciples, they raised J uh, Jairus' daughter, uh, Jairus' daughter from the dead, right near the Sea of Galilee. There was another man with his unclean spirit. At the time. And Jesus healed them. And I'm telling you, there are numerous healings in ministry that took place right there where Jesus sought them out and called them out. This is what I want to impress upon you today. God didn't call Peter just from the Sea of Galilee area. He used Peter's life around the Sea of Galilee area. Can you see that distinction? He used Peter's life around the Sea of Galilee to effectively minister that sea. Beautiful picture. This, this absolutely blew up and absolutely fits what we're supposed to be as genuine followers of Jesus. Look, you, you're, not, you're not having to go out to uh, the, the, the craziness of the Amazon or Uganda, if God presses that on your heart, great. Like, we want to follow that. But what's your Sea of Galilee look like? What is your Sea of Galilee? What is your context and ministry look like? When you go home today, do me a favor. Try to count how many houses are between here and your house. You'll lose count. Try to say, okay, there's an average of 3.2 people in, in each home. I don't know where they get the point two from. Um, 3.2 people. Uh, they just take the three and the fives and all that. Okay. There's about three people in every home, three to four people in every home. Times that by how many houses you saw. That's how many people that you have an opportunity to reach every single Sunday morning when you leave the church. That's not counting how many times... You pass by those houses during the week. Uh, in our neighborhood alone, um, there's, there's roughly uh, 80 homes right now that are in, in our neighborhood. That's 80 lives. That's over 200 people right there that are in our reach. That's not to count all the homes that we pass on the way to our house. Think about it. Our reach, our Sea of Galilee is huge. 
And in the context here, it was the same thing. I want to show you a few verses that I believe are God's mission for every everyday believers. Matthew chapter 28, 19, and 20. You know these verses. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. Uh, what Jesus is pretty much saying right here in verse 19 is as you are going, make disciples in your everyday life. Here's another one, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Having your conduct uh, honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may be your good works, which they have glorified God in the day of visitation. So I read this article this week as I was preparing um, that was saying how Christianity uh, in today's age has been so much more focused on making people church members than making people disciples. Um, Every day living as a follower of Jesus should be the primary strategy that Jesus had, right? You know, and, and having his church last for more than 2,000 years, pretty phenomenal. I'm, I'm thinking five years was, was massive. Uh, 2,000 years, he's got that beat by a long shot. To have it expand to every country on the earth, to have it saturated to every language known to man, uh, the only way that it, it could survive, as I said earlier, every economic situation that could ever come, every culture that was going to have to be adapted to, Jesus would be prepared to have a strategy for it. So let's finish it up for today. Maybe you are one this morning. You walked into this place. Maybe you have never even heard the word discipleship. Maybe you've never sat foot uh, sat through a worship service and even heard the word multiplying or, or multiplication of disciples. Maybe today you walked in thinking that you were just an ordinary person. Guess what? You're not alone. You can celebrate that today. I, I feel ordinary too. I'm a guy that can't even get his wardrobe together for a baptism on Sunday mornings. Uh, you know, I can almost say that the, the person next to you feels like an ordinary person too. If that doesn't make you feel any better, look around the church today. I don't know how many we got here today. I'm going to venture to say there's about 80, 85 people on campus today. Uh, There's 84 other people besides you that are ordinary as well. Hey, it's, it's pretty neat. But with two closing thoughts, the first one is this. Ordinary is okay because the gospel has never been about how great we are. It's never been about how great we are. Some of you may be thinking, oh no, I'm in trouble because I think I, I live above ordinary. Um, I've got news for you. Maybe you are full of talent and you have a wall full of education. God doesn't choose people for their accomplishments and he doesn't choose us because of our failures. Understand that today. It's just like the Apostle Paul said, no one should boast before God. So here is what I want to tell you today. It doesn't matter if you feel ordinary or if you feel like you have a lot of accomplishments. Uh, We want you to have accomplishments. Uh, None of that matters to God because all of us, no matter how gifted or how ordinary we actually are, all of us are unqualified to be following Jesus because of a thing called sin. 
The Bible says that our unqualified states, while we were yet sinners, all of us are sinners. But in the beauty that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And his work of dying on the cross completed that and it qualified us. He died to forgive us of our sin. The most recited scripture in all the Bible, John chapter 3, verse 16, tells us, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believed in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's for everybody. So what I'd like to share with you is that ordinary is okay because the gospel has never been about how great we are. Maybe today you realize you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe today you've come uh, and, and this whole discipleship thing because you, you just don't, you don't know about it. You don't understand it. Uh, maybe you saw a Facebook post and you said, hey, I'm going I'm to check that out. You don't have a, 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 maybe, maybe a real relationship with Jesus. You just don't feel it. It's simple what you need to do. Hey, it's the very basics admitting that we're sinners, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and, and believing in His death, burial, resurrection, confessing our sins and asking Him to forgive us of our sins and ask Him to come into our heart. It's that simple, and then you start your life as a disciple. But I would say this too, don't have excuses. Some of us are, are really quick when asked to do something. We say, oh, I can't do that. I'm not qualified to do that. And what we end up doing is we make excuses before God can even use us. Uh, I'm not good at music. I'm not good at singing. I'm not good at teaching. I'm not, I'm not good at greeting. I'm not, I'm not good at pulling weeds. I'm not good at cleaning bathrooms. Now, what are you good at? <laughs> Tell us what you're good at. Because we want to plug you into that. Uh, I want you to focus on serving Jesus in your everyday life. I believe that is 100% biblical. To serve Him. It's okay if you're ordinary. But, but second, and we'll close with this, following Jesus wasn't made for the church world. It was made for the real world. No, and it was made for your world. Even with, without a church service, even without a church program, we have all of the purpose of following Jesus in our world today. There is nothing more that you need. We have His Word. This is your sword. Listen, I might start doing something on Sundays and say, how many of you got a Bible? Hold it up in there. But you can't do nothing without it. You can't go to battle without it. If it's on your phone, then hey. <laughs> it's like me going to, to share Jesus with somebody. If I know I'm meeting with somebody, and I'm going to share Jesus with them, and I don't show up with my Bible, what good am I going to do? We need it. We are so blessed to even have it at our fingertips. Like, we have, we have the capability to go home today and to go on the Walmart or Amazon or Bibles.com or ChristianBook.com and you can literally order it today and have it at your doorstep tomorrow or Tuesday. We have it so good. But we have His Word. 
And there's another thing. If you're a believer today, you have His Spirit. We have connection with believers. You have your Sea of Galilee. You have every connection you need to be a follower of Jesus in this world. The question is, are you using the resources around you? So here's what we're going to do. Over these next four weeks, we're going to deep dive into this. We're going to dig a little deeper and deeper. And I want to take it, I want to take it further. Uh, if you're in small groups throughout the church, uh, maybe, maybe it's a ladies' group, a men's group, a, a young families' group, college group, youth group, kids' groups. Like, I want this to start being a conversation. Teaching our people to be raised up in their Sea of Galilee and knowing what it looks like. I want you to take it further in your personal time with God, in your prayer time, in your worship time. If you're not plugged into a small group this week, uh, ladies, I think you have Bible study Thursday night. Um, we have a, a young a young families group that's going to meet Saturday. Uh, ask us about that. We'll get you the information. We want you plugged in. Next week, hey, youth group's going to be meeting again. Pastor Benny will have his, have his Bible study. Uh, men's group will be at the end of the month. We have places for you. We want you to grow. We want you to find a place to plug in. We have a college group that's going to be starting uh, at the, towards the end of this month. They're going to be uh, meeting a multi-generational Bible study tonight. Uh, so many opportunities. Uh, I think we got people meeting on Friday nights at, at Mr. Billy Jean's house. Like, we, we got it all. You pick your night, we'll tell you where you can fit in. You just tell me what night you want to have Bible study. Okay, I just went through the whole thing. Um, Several opportunities. But think about this as we close today, as worship team comes. Who is your Sea of Galilee? What do you need to do to teach them? Because here's the thing. We are all ordinary people in everyday life to translate to real-life disciple-making. And we have to do this together because we are on mission together. And honestly, church, we are better together. We are absolutely better together when we're on mission and doing the same thing and driving it the same way. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. God, we thank you for the moment that you've given us to open up your word. Lord, this is two simple verses of where you called two simple disciples out. And God, today I just pray that as we think about our Sea of Galilee, as we think about our community around us, as we think about the church, who can we reach? Who is it, God, that you want us to reach? And at the end of the day, Lord, I know that every single person in here, if they really thought long and hard about one person, just one person that they're supposed to impact with the gospel, that you would put that on their heart right now. Lord, maybe that person doesn't know you as Lord and Savior of their life. God, would we use this time as invitation to come and pray for that person? Lord, maybe it's the person sitting next to them in a pew. Lord, maybe it's themselves. Maybe it's them that need to be called out to begin a relationship with you. Lord, would you just have your will? Would you have your way? Would you change hearts? Would you transform lives right here as we close this service? In Jesus' name, amen. Can you stand with us? I surrender all. Amen.